This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the financial impact of the COVID-19 crisis is starting to add up. State tax collections were down by about three-quarters of a billion dollars in March. The governor uses his bully pulpit to defend the state's unemployment system. Maybe defend isn't the right word. Ron DeSantis admits it's pretty crappy, designed to fail, but he says they are making it work. That is not good enough for Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed. She's demanding a formal investigation into potential mismanagement of Florida's unemployment system. As the death toll rises at nursing homes and adult living facilities, a South Florida congressman says it's time for Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis to do a better job protecting seniors from coronavirus and be more honest about what's really going on behind closed doors at senior care facilities. On the Sunrise interview, we talk with State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, who are entering the first phase of reopening the state, but he says the people making those decisions are not looking out for the best interests of workers, small businesses, or local communities. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and check in with Florida Man. One dressed up as the Grim Reaper to protest reopening the beaches. The other shot and killed a man when he was a teenager and is now a sheriff in South Florida. It's also Cinco de Mayo, so why not celebrate by throwing a jar of Hellman's into the nearest body of water? And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, May 5th. Let's begin with the numbers, $770 million. That is the estimated shortfall in revenue collections for the state in March thanks to coronavirus. It's a 25% decrease, and April's numbers are expected to be even worse. It's also the number one reason some politicians and executives want us all back at work, even if some people have to die. Speaking of which, Florida's official death toll hit 1,399 on Monday. I say official because there have been allegations that Florida is hiding some fatalities to make things look better than they really are. It certainly didn't help when the Florida medical examiners were ordered to stop releasing their list of fatalities because their numbers were higher than the ones from the state health department. Almost 500 of those fatalities are residents and staff at Florida nursing homes or adult living facilities, which are still off limits to visitors during phase one of the recovery. Congressman Ted Deutsch of Palm Beach County serves on a congressional task force on aging and families, and he says the feds and the state have to do a better job protecting elders in senior care. I want to recognize the pain felt by families across the country who have lost loved ones to COVID-19. In Florida, over 36,000 people have tested positive and 1,400 have died, but the impacts of the pandemic are not felt equally. That's why one of our core principles is protecting Americans living in long-term care facilities. 8% of the cases in Florida are in long-term care facilities, but they account for over 35% of all of the deaths in the state. That's important information. We need to know the risks. We need data. We need transparency, not only to inform response efforts, but also to assist families who are now cut off from their loved ones. And it took a lot of product to get formal data collection underway at long-term care facilities. And this seems like a pretty basic function for a CDC. How many cases? How many deaths? Why did we have to fight for that? And unfortunately, we've had to have the same fight with Florida's governor. It took a lot of pressure before Governor DeSantis finally started reporting case data among staff and residents in long-term care facilities. And now that we know more, we need to provide necessary resources and hold the Trump administration accountable for the deployment of these resources. 
every long-term care facility needs tests, needs PPE, adequate staffing, and close monitoring by public health officials to prevent outbreaks. So when the administration touts its project AirBridge and the 100-plus cargo planes bringing life-saving PPE from Asia, we need full transparency into what's on those planes and where it's going to make sure that our long-term care facilities are getting everything they need to protect those frontline workers and our seniors. The people in these long-term care facilities also need support to combat social isolation. We need to prevent abuse and neglect and protect beneficiary rights as these facilities remain closed to families. We need to protect those rights as well. And finally, uh, I just want to I want to say, and I think every American will join us in thanking the frontline workers who are putting their own health on their own health on the line to protect our seniors from this devastating virus. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell of Michigan says many seniors are beginning to feel as though the rest of us are willing to sacrifice them on the altar of the almighty dollar. Many of these seniors have already decided that we've made a decision, that their lives don't matter, that we've already written them off, and that we've decided they should die. First senior told me that at the beginning of the month about how afraid she was to leave her home that she couldn't go to the doctor, she couldn't go grocery shopping, because if she got this, nobody would care. She had been already written off. Just remember one thing about COVID-19. The rush to reopen does not mean the pandemic is over. It simply means there is room for you in the intensive care unit. After weeks of failure and frustration for hundreds of thousands of Floridians desperately trying to file an unemployment claim, Governor Ron DeSantis says he's calling in the Inspector General to investigate the origins and the breakdown of Florida's unemployment web portal, better known as Connect. The system that Florida has is this Connect system. It was contracted for in March of 2011. Uh, there was a total, they paid a firm $40 million for it, but then the total amount of costs were 77 0.9 million. Their, the contract was amended 14 different times during this, um, and there were a bunch of issues when this thing was launched. Now, those issues are not necessarily the same issues that caused the problems here. This is a capacity issue, and that just never seemed to be something that people had paid a, a lot of attention to. Um, so, so that's kind of, you know, where we were with this. Um, and if you look at the different costs, there's a lot of money that went into this, and uh, this is going back, looking. I've talked to different people in the legislature. I've talked to citizens and taxpayers. People want an accounting about why this much, because it's one thing to not have a good system if you go on the cheap or whatever, but to pay that much money and then all the problems we've had to deal with, you know, it's a big problem. And so uh, I am going to be uh, directing the uh, inspector general uh, to do an investigation into how the Connect system was, was paid for, the different uh, amendments to the contract, and go through that whole thing so that we get uh, the, the results about that, because I think that that's something that's very important for the people of Florida to know. The governor announced the investigation five hours after Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed wrote to the state's chief inspector general, formally requesting an investigation into potential mismanagement of Florida's unemployment system. She says the governor has not acted with the urgency or transparency the situation requires. Uh, we've called on the governor to actually do a formal uh, investigation into the situation. Uh, you know, first going back 
to when Governor Scott was in charge, um, and he was the one who actually created the program. But unfortunately, um, Governor DeSantis was made aware of, of the issues back when he first took office and was, pre, was uh, briefed, had an, uh, his own audit report uh, back last year in March. Um, so we were looking to see you know, where, where were the weaknesses, who knew what, um, because people are frustrated. People are mad. Uh, you know, two million people were trying to get onto the system in just week one, and only one percent of those calls were actually answered. That's just unacceptable. And, and people are deserving answers when they can't pay their bills, uh, when they're scared about how to put food on on their table for their families. Uh, these are issues that that need answers to them. Now, the the governor just announced that he is going to have his inspector general investigate the creation of the Connect system and all the contracting. But I get the feeling that's not exactly what you're concerned about. I mean, that's certainly one aspect of it, uh, for sure, is who who benefited from this, what was the instructions to the individuals who, who were actually creating it. But unfortunately, it's okay, the system is created, but then it's about implementation. You know, what happened afterwards? You know, what happened since um, Governor DeSantis received his own audit report uh, showing over 600 problems that needed to be fixed um, that were in the system and, and glitches? And we can't get answers from the DeSantis administration about what actions they've taken uh, to fix the system. I mean, I can't even imagine at this point in my administration uh, blaming my predecessor for anything that's going on in my administration. Uh, you know, it's, it's everything from leadership to changing of personnel uh, to getting more staff members. I mean, even in our concealed weapons program, which was one of the, the biggest colossal mess ups uh, in my predecessor, we, we knew what the problems were and we fixed them. We, we got, you know, I asked for additional employees and FTEs. Uh, you know, what exactly did the governor do under his watch uh, to fix the problems that, you know, maybe Governor Scott created them? Uh, and maybe DeSantis inherited them. Um, but unfortunately, at some point, he's got to take responsibility for the actions that happened under his administration. Do you think that uh, relations are going to get a little bit worse after this between yourself and the other members of the cabinet? <laughs> you know, to be quite honest, um, I've always put state before party, and that's exactly what I'm doing now. I have a you know great working relationship um, with CFO Patronus. Um, A.G. Moody and I went to undergrad and law school together, uh, so we've known each other for a significantly long period of time. And to be quite honest, if we are all doing what's best for the citizens of the state of Florida, partisan politics should never come into play. Uh, of course, we might have different approaches and different beliefs of how uh, something should work, um, but that's why we come together. That's why we're an independently elected cabinet um, for our independent voices. And, you know, maybe there's some healthy debate that needs to happen. And at the end of the day, as I said to the governor day one when I called to the state at home order, is that I would stand with him uh, when he did that. Um, because it's not about partisan politics. The state of Florida doesn't want that. Our, our citizens are struggling. They're scared. There, there's a health crisis that's happening. We've lost, you know, a significant amount of people. I think the death total as of today is up to almost 1,400 people. You know, I, you know, people are trying to figure out how to bury their loved ones, figuring out how to, you know, pay their bills. They don't want to hear the bickering between the governor and myself. They want to know that we're working together um, for solutions. I mean, we even offered our own staff to help the governor on this unemployment. We offered the same thing in, in our labs to try to get some of the testing of, you know, that are happening inside the Department of Health over to us to relieve some of their, their restraints so they can do more COVID testing. And, and none of those answer, you know, none of our, our requests were, were met. They, there was no response from the Department of Health, and they rejected our offers 
of persistence uh, for our employees. You know, that's not us working together. And the citizens need us to do that because they're scared. They want to know that their that their leadership is transparent and coming up with the best solutions uh, for us to get through this and not grandstanding or doing victory laps that we didn't have as many deaths as was predicted. You know what? We made, we thank God we're not going to have as many as predicted, but you know what? We still lost 1,400 people and an additional 40,000 cases of people that were scared, their family members were scared, um, and they, they deserve to know that their leadership is working together and, and not this bickering of politics. You going to try and sneak this into the cabinet meeting next week? You know, we're certainly going to get, you know, at least have these conversations. And you know, I'm glad that we're finally having our cabinet meeting. It's been since February, uh, and that's very frustrating. We're during a, a national and statewide uh, state of emergencies, and the fact that the cabinet hasn't met till, since February um, is is not okay. Uh, and, and hopefully we can have some of those conversations at the cabinet meeting next week. Freed is a member of the state cabinet and the only Democrat holding statewide office in Florida. Next up on the Sunrise interview, a conversation with State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez, who worries that the rush to reopen Florida could backfire. You're listening to the Sunrise podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez of Miami, one of the Democrats who's been advocating for reform of the state unemployment compensation system. Phase one of the plan to reopen Florida is now underway, but Senator Rodriguez says it doesn't protect workers, small business, or local communities. He says that may have something to do with the membership of the governor's Open Florida Task Force, which was packed with politicians and big business types who want everyone back at work during a deadly pandemic. Well, first of all, I mean, if you look at the composition of the task force itself, there, there's not a strong representation other than elected officials and the largest employers in the state. Now, you would think that working families, small business, and local communities would have more of representation, but they didn't. And a lot of the the policies that are coming forward as the uh, quote-unquote economic reopening in phase one seem to match that. So, for example, uh, the fact that the work search requirement for unemployment claimants is they've said that they're not going to extend the waiver of that past March 9. Now, what that means is the applicants for unemployment are asking for uh, assistance from the state, and there's all kinds of requirements. And one of the requirements that uh, they agreed to waive here in the state of Florida early on was the work search requirement. You don't have to be actively searching for work during a pandemic when a lot of industries are just shut down. Now, if they're going to let that waiver expire as of March, uh, excuse me, May 9, then obviously what that means is that the state of Florida is telling people, all right, it's, you know, it's time to, uh, you know, go back and and look for work. Well, in my district, 
the I live in the city of Miami. We are in the southeast Florida that is not a part of phase one. In my question to the Department of Economic Opportunity and Ron DeSantis is, what does a job search look like in hospitality, um, in uh, you know the restaurant industry, uh, in so many areas of the service sector here in South Florida? That's a nonsensical proposition. Uh, that uh, you know my constituents need to be actively searching for work during these conditions. So that's number one. And number two, uh, you know, we are also at a, in a situation where a lot of the measures that have been taken is because of social distancing and is because of the fact that we need to prevent, uh, you know, folks, including uh, workers, from being exposed. So you're also, you know, in other states, for example, Ohio, when they are doing a phased opening, they also require the use of protective equipment for certain employees so that they don't leave it up to individual employers to decide, you know, the, the safety uh, measures. And, you know, part of the importance of that is it's a competitive environment. If, the, if you set the, 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 the playing field in, in a certain way, everybody will, be, everybody will comply. But in some industries... Uh, things are so competitive, you know, one employer might be trying to get an advantage on another just by necessity. And who knows, we wouldn't want anybody cutting corners on protective equipment uh, because they feel they have to, right, as as a competitive model. We want workers uh, safe. And so, the the you know, <laughs> getting rid of the work search requirement wa- wa- waiver, which they've said they plan to do, not requiring uh, uh, the uh, provision of protective equipment for employees who are being, um, you know, who are either able to go back to work or effectively being asked to go back to work under dangerous conditions in some parts of the state. But thirdly, and this is universal, we need more testing. Everyone says we need more testing. They even admit that we're not doing enough testing. We're not even testing, you know, every person who comes through the hospital doors in in, in everywhere in Florida. So. The idea that we can have a phased uh, reopening in these conditions uh, where we don't have the test and trace operation up and running, which, again, the whole point of the stay-at-home orders is to buy us time. And two months have been bought uh, by everybody's sacrifice, and now they're asking folks to go back to work when they don't have a testing regime up and running that we need it, and they're not waiving the work search requirement past March 9, and they're not requiring employers to have protective equipment for their employees. And so, again, my concern is you add this all up, I think it's a lot of optics about this opening up. It, it really seems like it is on the backs of working families and largely also small businesses. Uh, that maybe need the guidance, maybe need the support in order to be able to open and and may not be able to to have as much capital and flexibility as as their larger competitors. Do you think people are going to die because the uh, restrictions ended too soon? Listen, I hope not. The concerns of opening up too soon is an obvious concern, which is 
the reason why we've been able to see some of the numbers plateau and even come down is because of the social distancing measures that we've all been taking and a big sacrifice of the community, again, to buy time to put in place the test and trace, uh, to put in place, the, you know, to, to shore up the healthcare system. A lot of that's been done, but not enough of it. And so the concern about potentially opening up too soon, I really hope that's not what's happening. Uh, you know, fortunately here in Florida, we're, you know, the governor's seem, trying to put out the, this message that he's sort of the middle road. Uh, to some extent, that's true. But in other ways, it's, it's absolutely not true. Again, here in South Florida, with some of these statewide rules, statewide failures to put things in place, they affect my constituents just like they affect everyone else. So my hope, my hope is that we are not uh, going to see a resurgence of, of infection and transmission. Um, but, but, uh, but, 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 you know, we have to be very, very careful of that. And without a robust test and trace uh, capability, you know, we, we're a lot of us are concerned. Our guest on today's Sunrise interview was Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez. The state's highest court will try to wrap its head around a couple of marijuana issues today, and they're doing it in a virtual hearing. The Florida Supreme Court will hear arguments in four cases today, including a dispute about a proposed constitutional amendment that would allow people to use recreational marijuana. The political committee called Make It Legal Florida is trying to get that proposal on the ballot, but they need Supreme Court approval of the wording. The court will also take up a potentially far-reaching dispute about the state's medical marijuana industry. That battle involves questions about whether the state has properly carried out a 2016 constitutional amendment that legalized medical marijuana. The Supreme Court starts at 9 and they'll use video conferencing because of the pandemic. Aides to the governor, the attorney general, the agriculture commissioner, and the chief financial officer are also meeting at 9 o'clock to discuss issues in advance of the cabinet meeting that's scheduled for next week. The state reemployment assistance commission meets at 9:30 in Tallahassee. And the Visit Florida Strategic Plan Task Force holds a conference call at 4. Finally, it's time once again for the misadventures of Florida Man, who sometimes wears a star on a green uniform. A Florida man who works as a sheriff admits he killed a man in Philadelphia when he was just 14 years old. Broward County Sheriff Gregory Tony told the Florida Bulldog he shot Hector Rodriguez in self-defense after the 18-year-old pulled a gun on him during an argument. But Rodriguez's former girlfriend, who was 17 at the time, told the Bulldog Rodriguez was not armed. Tony says he was cleared by juvenile authorities back then and never disclosed the incident when he was hired as a law enforcement officer or when the governor was vetting him for his appointment as Broward County Sheriff. Governor DeSantis says he never knew about the killing, but it doesn't really seem to bother him much. Insert Ron DeSantis about the Broward Sheriff. And a Florida man stalks Panhandle beaches dressed as the Grim Reaper to protest the reopening during the COVID-19 pandemic. His name is Daniel Felder, and he told WMBB-TV of Panama City it's too soon. Insert Grim Reaper, not appropriate. Ufelder is the guy who sued the governor this year for refusing to issue a statewide order closing beaches to prevent the spread of the virus. He lost, but that decision is being appealed. And kudos to News 13 reporter Faith Graham, who practiced safe interviewing by asking the question, handing him the microphone, and then standing at a safe distance. Social distancing is especially important when you interview the Grim Reaper. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.